Once more, welcome to all of you. Welcome especially to those of you at the Franklin campus. We love you so much. Pastor Eric, we love you. I'm excited. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the Franklin campus. First birthday. I think that's so exciting. We've got to figure out how to celebrate. I know when my son turned one years old, we put him up in his high chair and let him smear cake all over his face. And uh, maybe we could do something like that with Pastor Eric uh, on, the, on the first anniversary of Franklin campus. But we love you guys so much. Pastor Eric, we love you. Open your Bibles together with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 is where we will begin today. Very, very familiar story. Maybe one of the most familiar in all of the world, especially in the church. It's the story of Noah and the ark. How many of you know this story? Noah and the ark. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. I know that you've heard it in Sunday school. You've probably read it a thousand times yourself. You know all about it. By the way, what kind of lights did Noah have on the ark? Do you know what kind of lights did he have? Floodlights. Yeah, you get it? Yeah, I, I apologize. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. This really is an amazing story. For those who have been skeptical about the scriptures or the, or the complete truth of scriptures, this is often the story that they point to. Those who want to be skeptical will point to the story of the worldwide flood and will say there's just no way that could happen. There's no way that anything like that ever happened in the world, and therefore the Bible tells stories like this that they can't be true. You know, that's really interesting. I can't explain a worldwide flood, but, but what you need to understand, if this, this is one of the most widely attested stories in human history. You find it in Scripture, and for those of us who are people of faith, I don't need to look any further than Scripture to trust this story. But understand something. Throughout human history, on nearly every continent, whenever you find a group of people, and if they have any kind of history, either an oral history or written history, most every civilization on the planet tells this story. They may not know Noah's name, but every, every continent, nearly every civilization will have a story, an ancient story, about the worldwide flood. So whether or not you're inclined to believe this, understand this is a story that civilizations have told for centuries. This happened, my friends. I can't explain it, but it is in Scripture, and it is an amazing story about an amazing man, and that's why I want us to look at it today. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 is where we'll start. Listen, listen for the word of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. Okay, okay, let that sink in. The only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Okay, this is a horrible story. Are are you getting that yet? This is a horrible story. It's God's word. It's amazing. But this is the story about how the whole earth and everything in it was destroyed. It's amazing. And it's also amazing that this is a story we always read to children. It's horrifying. Let's follow. Verse 14. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. 
Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you. Get that? They're going to come to him. I love that. They will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. I like to think of myself as a tough guy, but I know better. Actually, I might really be tough. The thing is, I've never really been tested. I really want to think that I've got what it takes to get through almost any kind of disaster. I want to think of myself as a survivor. But you know, the truth is, I don't know if I've got that in me. I I worry sometimes. I know that, you know, if I lose my chapstick, I've almost got to go to bed for the day. Do you understand? I don't really know how hardy and, and tough that I am. In the last few weeks, there's been a fellow in the news. His name is Jonathan Metz. Have you heard his story? Jonathan Metz is the man who was working on the furnace in the basement. What happened? He got his arm hung. Now, that could happen to me, actually. Jonathan Metz got his arm hung in the bottom of the furnace, and he was trapped there, literally trapped, and his arm began to swell, and there was no way his arm was coming out of there. Nobody was home. Nobody was in the house, and so Jonathan Metz simply laid there for days. He said that when he started smelling, the flesh on his arm began to rot. He knew he had to do something. He was surviving by drinking dirty water off of the basement floor. And he realized that nobody was coming to save him. So what did he do? He reached around as far as he could reach. He grabbed some tools. And thankfully, we've never found out what kind of tool it was. And he began to... Cut off his arm. He began to cut off his arm. Who thinks they could do that? I don't know. Like I said, the whole I I need chapstick, baby. I mean, I don't know if I could if I could cut my arm off. He was cutting his arm off. He made a tourniquet. He began cutting, and when he got to the nerves, he couldn't do it anymore. He could not cut through the nerves in his arm. But the doctors still say that he saved his own life because by severing all of the tissue around the bone, he prevented the gangrene and the poison from going up into the rest of his body. He was on Good Morning America with with his arm. Understand? It's amazing. It's almost like that story of the fellow named Aaron Ralston from 2003 in Utah. Do you remember him? He was mountain climbing, and he got his arm hung under a boulder. He was mountain climbing, got his arm hung under a boulder, and he realized that nobody was going to save him, so he had to do something. You know how he cut his arm off? Did you hear that story? 
He got a dull blade and he literally did it. He cut his arm off, but first he broke it. It was in the, under the rock there. He twisted and broke the bone all the way through. Then he cut his arm off. He made a sling. He rappelled down a six-story mountain face. And then he hiked six miles across the desert and got to town. I'm really needing my chapstick now. Do you understand? Do you understand? These guys... That is amazing. I would so like to be one of those guys. I would like to be that kind of tough guy. The thing is, I don't know if I want to have to have my strength tested like that. I guess the only way if you know if something like that is in you is if you get put in a situation where it's got to somehow come out of you. And honestly, I'm not looking forward to that kind of disaster. I don't think Noah was looking forward to this kind of disaster either. But I want you to understand this story in Scripture. It is not really the story of a great disaster. It's not really the story about a great flood. That's not how Scripture presents it. The fact that the earth was flooded and everything destroyed is just sort of a matter of fact in Scripture. That's not the focus of this story. It's not the great flood. It is a man with great faith. This is what this story is about. Not a great flood, but it's about a man with great faith. Noah is the ultimate ultimate survivor. He is the only, the sole survivor of a disaster that destroys every living thing on the planet. Are you hearing me? The sole survivor of everything on the planet. I don't know how your strength will be tested. I don't know what kind of disaster you're facing today. But I do think we can take a look at the lesson from Noah's life and we can learn how to survive about anything. Notice first what the scripture says about Noah. Look at verse 9. There are three things, three words used to describe Noah. What are they? The first one, Noah was a righteous man. Noah was a righteous man. Now, when you're talking about a human being and you use the word righteous, it's it's relative, of course. We're not saying that Noah was a perfect man. Nothing in Scripture suggests that Noah was a perfect man. Honestly, when you read the rest of the story, you find out that after the flood, he he got drunk and, and there was all kinds of trouble with his sons. I mean, he's not a perfect man. But righteous is a word that Scripture uses here. Righteous. He's not Jesus. He, he is not perfect. But he is a man that Scripture says was righteous. The only blameless person living on earth at the time. Blameless. Wow. Wow. In other words, as far as people go, Noah's the best man on the planet. He's a good man, but his goodness, his righteousness, these aren't the things that count. What is important is the scripture says he walked in close fellowship with God. Now there's the key. He walked in close fellowship with God. My friend, I don't know what kind of disaster your life is at the moment or what kind of disasters you will face, but I'm telling you one thing. If you want to survive this life, if you want to make it through whatever you're going to have to go through, you need to learn to walk with God. What, of course, this means is that Noah has this awareness, this constant awareness that God is with him. Now, we know that God is with us. God never leaves. God never abandons us. But I'm telling you, most of us live our lives sort of absent-mindedly, at least in respect to God. 
We do not walk through our everyday aware of God's presence and aware of the fact that he's with us and that he loves us and that he's guiding us and that he has much to say to us. We're very oblivious to the fact that he has strength for us and joy for our hearts, that he has a way for us when it seems like life has no way for us. God is always with us. And Noah was one of those rare people who never ever forgot that he was walking with God. I mean, house full of Christians today, a campus full at Franklin of people who claim to be Christians. But, but let's be real, real honest. Most of us in the course of a day, in the course of a week, we sooner or later just begin to walk all by ourselves or walk in our own strength or just walk with our friends or walk with our family. But that's not the same as walking with God. What you need to understand is if you don't walk with God on the good days, if you don't walk with God every day, then on the day when you really, really need him, on the day when the flood comes and hits you, all of a sudden you're not walking with God. All of a sudden you will feel like he's not there for you. But it's not that he has left you. It is that you have walked away from him. Noah walks with God. And because he walks with God, Noah is able to hear God, to hear God's voice. I've told you over and over, just like you tell me over and over, that as a pastor, one of the things I hear from you so frequently is, Brother Tim, I just don't feel like God talks to me. I don't feel like I can hear God speak. Well, well, well this is the key. God's not going to shout across the distance to you. You walk closely with him, he'll whisper in your ear. He will talk to you, but you must walk closely and you must listen. Look through the scripture here. Find me one place where Noah says something before the flood. Can you find it in the scripture? Noah doesn't say a word. He never speaks. It is God who speaks and Noah simply acts. When God says do it, Noah does it. Noah does all the listening in this passage. God does all the talking. Wouldn't that make our lives wonderful? If we just simply did the listening and let God do all of the talking. Because what Noah hears from God is very, very important. What Noah hears is very important. God said to Noah, verse 13, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out all along the earth. God tells Noah this. Why is God telling Noah this? Because he wants him to be saved. He wants to spare him. To understand a, a basic biblical principle, look at this verse from the book of Amos. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 says this. Read these words with me from the screen. Ready? The sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. The sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Yeah. Do you understand? God does not intend to leave people in the dark. And in this story, God does not intend to wipe out the people from the face of the earth without revealing his plans. And he reveals his plans to Noah, the only man on earth who's listening to him. The only man on the planet who listens to God. And because he listens, he hears God. And God reveals his plans to him. And it's critical. It's critical that he listen. It's very important that he understand that a disaster is coming, a flood is coming. 
in our lives, the flood is always coming. It's just part of, of living. Jesus says in this world you're going to have trouble, and you're always going to have trouble. But I'm telling you, you walk closely with God, and God will reveal things to you. God will reveal his plans to you. He will not leave his children in the dark. He will not leave us to suffer with the unrighteous. Don't you understand? He reveals his plans to Noah. But Noah listens. He, he, he listens. It's not only that you've got to hear what God says, and you're listening to what God says today. And some of you read your Bible all the time for yourselves, and you know what God says. But hearing what God says is not the same thing necessarily as believing it. You have to b- believe it. And honestly, I, I don't know how Noah could even believe this. It's amazing. Noah apparently has no carpentry skills. He's probably never even been on a boat in, in his life. And it's possible, very possible, he's never even seen it rain. Do you understand that? When you read the book of Genesis, it's not clear whether or not we're supposed to assume that rain has ever fallen from the sky. Flip back a page to Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Look at what it says. The Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. The Lord God had never sent rain before. So it's possible, very possible, that when God says water's going to fall out of the sky, Noah's never seen that happen. Do you understand that? Possibly never even seen that happen. So how could you believe that it could even happen? Water just falling out of the sky. Maybe he's never even seen that before. How do you begin to believe in in things that you've never even seen? Things you can't even imagine. But this is what God is saying now. Something Noah could never imagine. And it's very important that he listened. They say that in surviving any kind of disaster, the first thing you've got to overcome is denial. Denial. It is the universal human tendency. We always simply want to believe that things are going to be as we wish they were. We always deny. We always simply cannot make ourselves believe that awful things will happen. And they say that's the first step to overcoming a disaster. You've got to understand that you are in danger. And in this case, the whole world is in danger. And the scripture says that Noah became a preacher. As he built that ark, he preached. He continued to tell people what was coming and what God was saying. He preached and he preached and he preached and nobody listened. Nobody listened. If you're going to survive anything, you've got to learn to listen to the alarms How many of you tend to get up and respond when a fire alarm goes off? Raise your hands. You're the one up and out the door. Nobody, nobody. If the fire alarm in this room, please, I hope none of the kids set it off just because I'm saying this. If the fire alarm in this room went off right now, what would you all do? You'd go. You'd look around. Why are you looking around? To see if anybody moves. And you've already found out you're in a room full of people who aren't moving. You're in a room full of stupid people. So are you going to sit there? Probably. It's human nature. It's just human nature. The cow alarm goes off in Warren County. What's that mean? Horrible storm coming. What do you do? Yeah, Probably nothing. Every time there's horrible weather, every time there's horrible weather, we turn on the TV and Chris Allen says that there's a tornado in South Union coming toward Woodburn. I mean, every time a cloud comes up, they tell us there's a tornado in South Union coming toward Woodburn. It never comes. 
It just never gets here. So sooner or later, I'm thinking, that's the same tornado. It must be a smudge on your screen, Chris. It's not coming. I just have this tendency not to believe, not not to trust the alarms. I mean, unless my own britches are on fire, I'm probably not going to do anything. It's, It's called denial. God sounds the alarm for Noah that a flood is coming, something like you've never seen before. And I want you to make preparations. These are elaborate preparations because, Noah, I'm going to save you and all those you bring into the boat with you and all the animals of the earth will come to you so you can save them too. Now get busy. you got to hear God, but you got to believe God. You have to believe him enough to go to work for him. So Noah obeys. That's what the scripture says. He obeys. He doesn't talk, just goes to work. The old saying says, uh, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. It's a great principle for our lives. If we're going to survive, if if we're going to please God and, and walk with him, one of the things we have to learn to do is to put all of our faith in things that haven't happened yet. It's not raining when Noah starts collecting wood. It's not raining when the animals start coming to him and he starts beginning to take care of them. It's not raining yet, but the rain is coming and he knows that. And he orients his whole life around the things that have not happened yet. This is what the life of faith is all about. Most of the things that Jesus has promised me, I have not taken hold of yet. But I have oriented my whole life. Everything in my life is simply revolving around the things that God has promised to do for me. Promising to forgive all of my sins and save me and transform me, make me holy like he is holy. That hasn't happened yet, but every day of my life, I want everything to be moving in that direction. It hasn't even happened, but I see it coming from from a distance. That's what faith is about. And everything begins to move in the direction that God has set. And I don't see that destination. It's not raining yet, but Noah begins to build. And he builds, and he builds, and he builds. And he's got to look like a fool. He's just got to look like a fool. Who goes out and builds an enormous boat? Who in the world starts collecting animals, a pair of every kind? Who's got a duck-billed platypus in their barn? Who's got two giraffes and a couple of birds? Who's got this? Who does this? Noah's got to look like a fool. And I'm sure that the people that he preached to and his neighbors began to mock him and make fun of him. Noah looks like an, an idiot. He looks like a crazy man. Who does this? The only one who does this is the only one who listens and believes what God says. And so he does it. And that's an important lesson for you and me. We've got to do what God says do. We've got to ignore everybody else. Nobody else is going to hear God the way you'll hear God. Nobody else is going to obey him the way you obey him. You've got to never listen to your critics and simply do what God says. You do it. It's not going to please everybody. People are not going to believe you. They're not going to celebrate your obedience to God. But you're not doing it for human celebration. You're obedient because God is God. And he's spoken. And you've got to do what he says. That means you've got to put everything, all of your hope, all of your faith, things that haven't even happened yet. There's a dad working in his garage, five-year-old little girl, It had been a long, long string of days in the upper 90s. You're starting to feel what that's like. Long string of days in the upper 90s. It was hot. 
Dad was working in his garage. Little girl comes out and says, Daddy. Okay, y'all know what she's going to say before I tell you what she's going to say? If you got a kid, you probably do. It's a hot summer day. She comes out and says, Daddy, can we go swimming today? Yeah, yeah. My son's first word was duck. His second word was, can we go swimming today? Yeah, he just loves to swim. Little girl wanted to go swimming. Hot day. Dad says, honey, I wish we could. I really wish we could. But it costs... $18 for all of us to go to the water park together. It costs $18 for all of us. And, and we really just don't have that kind of money. That's why we don't go very often. Honey, we just can't go today either. Little girl looks at her daddy, and then she says, well, I'm going to ask God. That's cute, isn't it? That's cute. So she stomps off, turns around and stomps off. So daddy kind of lets her go. Then he kind of follows her from behind. She goes into her bedroom. She kneels by her bed. This girl's serious. Kneels by her bed. And she says, God, it is so hot down here. It is so hot. And I really want to go swimming. But daddy says we don't have money to go swimming. Could you please do something about that? Thank you, God. Amen. Daddy thought, that is so cute. That's just the cutest little thing. It was cute until he saw what she did next. She got up from her knees and started putting on her bathing suit. She put on her bathing suit. She wrapped a towel around her neck. She went out to the front porch and started blowing up her float. She's sitting on the front porch with her bathing suit on, a towel around her neck, blowing up her float. And now the dad's starting to get a little bit concerned. And so he starts practicing the speech. You know, when you, when you really got a, a teaching moment for your children, he's got to tell her, he's got to help her understand what prayer is like. And he was thinking, honey, he's going to say something like this, honey, um, prayer is not where we tell God what we want. Prayer is really something more like where we, we pray and we discover what God is already doing. That's what he's going to say. He was kind of going over those flimsy sentences when all of a sudden the phone rang, phone rang, mother answered the phone. It was a family up the street that they don't, didn't know very well. And the other mother was talking now to the little girl's mother. She said, listen, we've been looking for a chance to get to know you better. And it's very, very hot. Would you and your family like to come swimming with us as our guests at, the, at our swim club? Mom said, yeah, that would be fantastic. We'll be right up. The mother said, no, 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 don't come right away. You know, we weren't even planning to go swimming, but the thought just occurred to us. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Sometimes you have to put your faith in things that have not happened yet. You may look foolish. As a matter of fact, we have to live our lives in such a way where if God doesn't come through with for us, we would be fools. You understand that? That we believe in God's promises to the point where if God somehow did not fulfill his promises, we would be ridiculous, ridiculous people. But because we put everything, everything in the hopes of what hasn't even happened yet. That's risky. That's risky. But if you're going to be a, a survivor, you've got to learn to live like that. It's called faith. Th throughout Christian history, this has been a very, very important story, not because it's a cute story about the animals and the rainbow and all of that. It's really about the ark. It's about that ark. Because the ark for us and through Christian history, the ark becomes a, a symbol of, of sanctuary, a, a, of shelter. Do you understand that? 
It's, it's shelter. It is an overwhelming disaster and destruction and flood. It's an overwhelmingly bleak picture. And yet, there is this ark, this, this, this shelter where the one who has found favor with God is kept. Are, are you hearing me? God always shelters his people. Through the years, the ark has become a symbol of, of, of the church. And, and honestly, uh, you know, they call the inside of a church in the old days the nave. It's a word that's related to words like navy and naval. It has to do with, with an ark. They designed churches from the very beginning so that from the inside, it's almost like being inside a great big boat. Do you understand that? We've always been drawn to this picture of, of the ark, this, this place of shelter, this place of safety in the midst of darkness and destruction. That's, that's what God provides for us. I guess first we could say that that does come through the church. I know what the church is like, so do you. I heard one person say beautifully that the church is just like the ark. Sometimes it stinks, but if you get out, you drown. Sometimes it stinks, but, but if you get out, you, you, you drown. It, it, it's shelter. It, it is grace for those who walk with God. The, the ark is a symbol of Christ himself who, because of his righteousness and his love for us, would save us from a world that is going to be destroyed. You, you know that? Do you believe that? So, guy named Walter who says growing up, his favorite place in the whole world was this uh, enormous cherry tree in his backyard. Enormous old tree with big limbs. One limb in particular was, was, was near, the, near the middle of the tree. He would climb his way up, and then this enormous limb would fork out into these two narrow branches, and it was almost like a cradle. And Walter, as a boy, found that to be the most amazing place. He would climb all the way up that tree in the coolness of the leaves in the shade. He would stretch out in, in those two branches that just cradled him. He would go up there and read books like Black Beauty and, and all kinds of things. He would just read anything, and he'd lay in that tree, and it was his safe place. It was his wonderful private place. One afternoon in the summer, Walter had climbed all the way up into that place in the top of that cherry tree laying out on, on that big old limb, that fork of the two limbs. He was stretched out. And a storm came up very suddenly. I mean, very suddenly that the sky was black and, and dark and the wind began to, to, to beat that tree. And Walter, a little boy, was terrified, just terrified. Because the big tree actually began to move, began to sway. He was terrified. He just started to scream, Daddy, Daddy. He would scream, Daddy. And he was screaming for his father to come. Walter was paralyzed, hanging to the tree, scared to come down, just hanging for dear life. Daddy, he's just screaming, Daddy, Daddy. And finally his daddy comes running out of the back door, comes down, and he looks up, and the storm is beginning to rage now. It's about to, about to turn very, very dark. And the daddy comes under the tree, and he stands under Walter, and he says impossible words. You see, when Walter calls for his dad, he, he sees his dad coming, and instantly he feels better because he assumes that daddy will, will climb up that tree and grab him and take him back down. But that's not what happens. Walter's daddy goes underneath that tree, stands under that big limb and says, Jump! Jump! Now, I should tell you, Walter's dad was not a big man. He, 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 was, he was not a, a big farmer or anything like any big, no, not a big preacher. Nothing like what you're thinking. Walter's dad, no offense to any of you, was a dentist. 
He was a dentist with itty-bitty scrawny arms, a little bitty man down there going, jump. And Walter's thinking, this is what it will be like to die. This is what it will be like to die. And he had no intention of jumping. He was not going to jump into his father's arms until the wind whipped, the wind whipped, the limb broke, and Walter did not jump, but he fell. He fell. He fell out of the tree and right into his father's arms. His father caught him. Understand that no matter what disaster you find yourself in this morning, there is a God who waits to catch you. There is a God with you in the flood, with you in the wind and the darkness. There is a God with you now if you will learn to walk with him. And if you will listen to his voice, he will speak to you. He will reveal his plans to you. It is a promise. And if you listen to what he says, and if you will believe, he will shelter you. He will shelter you. I don't really know what the flood's going to be for you. I don't know if it's going to be a flood of illness. I don't know if it's going to be a cancer diagnosis or something else through which you must go. I don't know if it's going to be a marital problem. It could be a divorce or a death. It could be problems with your teenager. It could be problems with your friends. It could be a relationship that dissolves. You could lose your job. There are so many different ways for our lives to be destroyed. Don't you understand that? There are so many ways, and that is why it is inevitable that you and I are eventually going to have to go through some things. Sooner or later, we will be tested. We will face trials. We're going to see a world of trouble. But if we believe through whatever comes, we will always be sheltered, always protected, always saved. Scripture says that. The next time the world ends, since the flood, it'll be just like the first time. You know, God destroyed the world with a flood the first time. And people just went right on living. They were eating and drinking. They were merry, the scripture says. Restaurants just kept opening around town, and they just kept on piling up under the table and laughing, enjoying their lives, and thinking that nothing would ever happen to them. And then the flood came. Scripture says that the Lord is going to destroy the earth again. He's going to judge the people of the world again. And it's going to be just like that all over again. Nobody believing, nobody listening or walking with God. Everybody in denial that, that something like that could ever happen again. But, but it's going to happen. A great flood of judgment is going to come again. No one will survive except those with great faith. Put your faith in the Lord today. He will shelter you. Pray with me. God, there are those in the sound of my voice today who are already feeling the storm. God, they're going through it now. They really don't understand why or how these things are happening, and they see no way out. But, Lord, I pray that today they will walk near to you, listen to your voice, put their faith in Christ, find shelter. Lord, there are many who need shelter.
They need safety, security. They need peace in the middle of the storm. And I pray, Lord, today that you would let us find that peace. Lord, there are some in this house who listen for your voice, but they find such difficulty in believing and and obeying. Lord, I pray that we would hear what you say and then just turn around and and do what you say. Not asking questions, not looking around to see what the crowd's going to do. Lord, let us simply listen and obey. Oh God, there are so many of us who long to live a life of courage and strength and we would love to do something, Lord, amazing for you. But Lord, we're so intimidated by the crowd. We want to be different, Lord, but we still find ourselves so much like everybody else. Lord, help us to stand for you and to stand strong for you and to survive, Lord, by faith in Christ, to survive for you, Lord, even if we have to stand and survive alone. Because, Lord, we know we will never be alone when we walk with you. Lord, we don't know what we'll have to walk through. But, Lord, help us to understand today that if we walk with you, your presence will be enough for us. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you need to feel him close today.